Hello everyone and welcome to Restoration Temple's podcast out of Lima, Ohio. Today, Associate Pastor Keith Picard has a sermon entitled, New Covenant. Let's join him as he gets underway. Today's message, New Covenant. We're going to be in John chapter 13. Uh, this is going to be our main verse today. And this is uh, when Jesus... Uh, is with his disciples at the very end, right before he's getting ready to go to the cross. And there's about four and a half, five chapters in John where Jesus is basically giving his disciples almost like last directions. Okay, this is what you got to know. I'm about to go to the cross and then I'm going to leave. This is what you need to know. And so that's this is the beginning of that. And actually, this is right after Judas left. So Jesus told Judas, whatever it is that you're going to do, go and do. And then he left. And then Jesus says, he turns to the other 11. He says, okay, here we go. This is what I've got to tell you. In John 13, verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, the Amplified uh, translates the end of verse 35 as if you have love and unselfish concern. For one another. Uh, two things to see here. First is that it's a commandment. It's an order. It's not optional. <laughs> it's almost like it's important. The Lord is saying, I want you to love just as I have loved. And this is one of those things, you know, we can, if you've been a Christian very long, you've probably heard this, I don't know how many times, how important it is that we love, right? And yet, how easy is it? How easy is it to love? That's a hard thing, isn't it? It's because you know, it's, it's not natural. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I mean, little Hudson, as beautiful as that little guy is, he is born into the world as selfish as you can be. I'm sorry to pick on Hudson. Every single one of us was born selfish little critters, weren't we? I mean, they. I tell you what, in the middle of the night, they will raise a ruckus and wake you up, and they don't care. Right? They don't go, oh, mom's sleeping. I'll wait till the morning. No. <laughs> I want what I want, and I want it now, and I'm going to keep screaming until you take care of this for me. <laughs> that's how we're born, and that's how we live, and it takes a work of the Lord to mature us up to where our eyes go from the inside to the out. And that's what Jesus is saying is that I'm giving you a new commandment, and it's a commandment to love, and it's not natural. But I'm going to give you ways to be able to fulfill this command that I'm giving you. And also, notice that at the very end there in verse 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is saying... Let me put it a different way. When I go up to Putnam County, and drive around. I look at the houses there. I go to Columbus Grove because I go to Dr. Needler. And I drive by these houses and I go, wow, look at how clean and neat and tidy. These lawns are just perfect. The flowers and the bushes are all straight. And I go, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. How do they do this? And you know, part of it is because there's a real, I don't know, German, I don't know what it is, Putnam County. There's, there's a real drive in that area with the people. It's, it's a cultural thing that we keep our houses nice, right? Have you seen that? Some of you are from that area. God bless you. I wish I had some of that in me. I don't. Sorry. If you come to my house, <laughs> I don't have that. But you know, that's, you kind of know 
those people by the way they tend to their houses, the way they keep things, the way they do this. You know, other people from other nations have different things and we kind of know, ah, that's because they're, you know, whatever. You know, they're kind of general things that you can kind of identify different peoples or different nations or different things by kind of the way they are and the things they do. And what Jesus is saying is that people will know who we are simply because of our love. And it's interesting that he's not saying here that you love the world, that you love the people. That's certainly part of it. And we'll get to that. But what he's saying is people will know that there's something different about you simply because of the way you are loving each other. And haven't you seen that in our lives? How it's... There is an amazing connection that happens among us when we're saved. When we get in a group of other Christians, there's that koinonia flowing, that fellowship flowing. And that sometimes, you know, I hate to say it, but you're almost closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes than you are to family. Physical, natural family. I hate to say that. I hope no one's listening. But you know, I can feel that way because God has put within our hearts just this amazing love for each other. And again, Jesus is saying, people will know that you're my disciples if you're loving each other. And He asks us to do this amazing, impossible thing, but it's something that He will put in us, that He does put in us, doesn't He? But there are ways of getting there that we'll see in a moment. And this love is obviously agape love. It's that agapeo, however you say that. It's love for each other. It's really laying down your life for each other. In fact, Jesus said you are to love each other basically as He did, as He loved us. So the badge of a disciple is love. Isn't that interesting? I mean, what would you think of if someone asked you, are you a disciple of, of Christ? What would you think of? What would come to your mind of saying, well, yes, I'm a disciple because of fill in the blank? What would that be? It might be, well, you know, I, and we, I tell you, it's, it's such a natural thing for all of us to start thinking of the things we do, right? <laughs> I get up every morning and I pray for three hours. I don't, but some people do. <laughs> God bless you if you do. But I have my quiet time and I start thinking, well, I have my quiet time and I pray and, I, and you start thinking of all these things. And you know what? Jesus said, people will know that you're a disciple if you're loving each other. That's how you know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, is if you have love in your heart for someone else, for the body. Amen? In Second Peter, actually this is the, the passage that pastor has been preaching on lately, Second Peter 1, 3-8, uh, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amen. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us, to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. That is a mystery. I wish I could preach on that, but I can't because it's a mystery. It really is. How does God do that? How is it that when we are in His presence, when we're reading His Word, when we're praying, when we're doing all these things, it's like a sacrament. It's like something that God is putting into us, something that it's, you, you can't explain. But somehow through this process, we become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort 
to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And notice the progression. We start with what? Faith. What do we end up with? Love. That's a work that God is going to be doing in our lives for the end of our days. Jesus said, people, people will know that you are my disciple if you are showing love for each other. And that is something that God is interested in growing in each and every one of us throughout our life. The longer we spend with Him, the more time we spend with Him, the more this will grow. Why? Why? Why is God interested in growing love in us? Just so we're nice, loving people? It's actually so we will be loving people. That's an action. <laughs> Not just so we're finally all you know, shiny and nice and you know, we're nice to each other and all that. That's good. But God wants us to do something here. Otherwise, He would have taken us a long time ago. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13.13. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Romans 8.29, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is one of my favorite verses because what it's telling me is that whatever is going on in my life, in our lives, whatever God, actually whatever God allows in our lives, you ever wondered that? God, why is this happening? <laughs> God, why is this thing in my life? Why am I against this struggle? Why am I against this whatever it is? It's because He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Many times He is in the process of using whatever situation we're in to chip away at something in us or to add something to us, right? That's the sanctification. It's, that's another mystery of what God is doing. Because God is actually more interested in us being like Jesus than for us to have a real nice cushy life. I wish it was otherwise <laughs> at times. But you know, looking back, how many times have you gone through something and you've gone, oh, I don't ever want to go through that again, but I'm glad I did. Amen. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So how did Jesus love the disciples? Really, by laying down His life. John 15, 13, Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than someone to lay down his life for his friend. It's a giving love. It really is. John, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And that word know is, I know, absolutely. We can know that God loves us simply because He laid down His life for us. And He's saying, you know what? That same love I showed you, now I am going to put that into you to love each other. Sometimes it can seem as a guy. When I walk into, well, it's not there anymore, Gifts of Joy or any other Christian bookstore, it's a lot of, it's not Menards. Can I just say that? It's not Menards. Does that make sense? Where are the tools? There's nothing, there's not a whole lot there for a guy going into Gifts of Joy. I mean, they got great books, they had great books and CDs and all this stuff. But you know what's there a lot is decorations and all these lovely things that, oh. I mean, I'm glad my wife gets that stuff and decorates and everything. It's awesome, but I could live without it, personally. 
I mean, there's some tools I'm not sure I could live without. Honestly, a circular saw, every guy needs a circular saw. A drill, right? We need a drill. We need these things. So it can seem sometimes to us as men that when we get on these subjects about love, that it's kind of like, oh, love. Oh, please, all right, all right let's get, get through this to something else. Because it feels like to us, you know, as men, that's not our, <laughs> can we just be honest, that's not our thing, right? For women, love is, oh, they're motivated by love. Men are motivated by respect. <laughs> they really are respect and honor. That's what motivates us. And so when we as men are told to love, it can seem like that's something like, well, I know I should, and maybe someday I will, but I am not that motivated to do that. And yet Jesus said, People are going to know you 11 men. You 11 men are my disciples because you are loving each other in an amazing way. You're going to be laying down your lives for each other. And you know, the love that Jesus showed was a rugged love. It was a rugged love. In fact, two examples that the Lord kind of showed me that we can see that in in kind of the lives that we live now is secret service. You ever you know anything about the secret service? You know that these guys protect the president and other people, you know, government and important people, and they are willing to take a bullet for someone else. That's love. That's love. Willing to lay down their life for someone else. So don't tell me that love is wimpy. I'm sure those guys you would know. Dan, what these guys, the training they go through, what they're willing to do, they know what could possibly come and they live with that and they're willing every day to step out there and say, I am willing to take a bullet for this person. That's love. The other one is anybody that's been in the service and just, I think all of us, especially men, we understand this, that there have been times in wars and other places where men are willing to jump on a grenade to save their friends. Greater love has no one than this than they lay down their lives for their friends. So again, (laughs) don't tell me this is a wimpy love. This is an amazing, rugged love to be willing to sacrifice yourself for someone else. And that's the love that He wants us to show for each other. So how do we do this? How do we get this? You know, this is one of those things that <laughs> there's so many things that, that Jesus asks us to do that honestly are impossible, right? To love. How do you love like that? Who has that? Who does that naturally? Like I said, no one does. You know, we don't have that naturally in us. And Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5 says, but I have this against you. He's, he's basically talking to one of the churches and he says that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, that's kind of hard. But you know, it's true. It's funny, when when you meet someone who's just been saved, it's almost like, ah, calm down, you know? (laughs) Be like us. (laughs) Maybe we should be like them, I don't know. Uh, but there's just such a bubbling over love. And there's a reason for that because it's new, <laughs> isn't it? When you're first saved, it's like, can you believe what God did for me? Oh, 
wow, this thing is amazing. You would not believe. Have you heard about Jesus? Do you know what He did? Isn't this amazing? And you know, over time, then we kind of lose that. And what he's saying here to these people in his church is they'd kind of gotten more into, and before this, he's talking about all the great works they're doing. And they were doing wonderful works. They really were. But they'd lost their first love. They'd kind of lost track of, of who Jesus is and what He'd done for them. And really, you know, <laughs> the answer to that is simply to return to who He is and what He did for us. In 1 John 4, 16-19, it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God had for us, has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And that's really the answer, isn't it? Have you ever known someone that has a trait or a, a mannerism, a way of speaking, and then you notice someone else kind of picks that up, a friend of theirs? I used to pick up John Galloway-isms. Remember that? <laughs> Brenda, you know. <laughs> he is just hilarious. He's got the funniest sayings. And then next thing I know, I'm saying them. And it's, I didn't like go home and train. Okay, now when I say this, this is how I'm going to say that. You just kind of pick it up, don't you? I mean, all these different Twitter-pated. I have no idea. What's Twitter-pated? I have no idea. That's a John Gallowayism. There's all these different words that he had, things that he came up with that are, that are funny. They just kind of pick up. And there's something about being in the presence of Jesus. Being in His we sang about that this morning about being in His presence. Boy, I tell you, you just kind of soak it up. It's kind of like marinating chicken. That's probably not a good example. <laughs> Actually, no one's hungry, right? <laughs> Can we wrap this up? <laughs> you know, but when you marinate chicken, when you first put it on, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But you let that thing sit overnight. When you come back, mmm, it picked up the stuff, right? When we spend time with Jesus, it may not feel like anything is happening, but you spend enough time with Him and you will pick Him up. Recently, the Lord gave me the funniest picture. It's of someone with garlic breath. Well, that's not very nice. But what He was telling me is that we all breathe what we eat. And you can, I don't know how else to put this, you can kind of smell on the breath of someone what they've been eating, Right? Sorry, maybe that's a little rough. <laughs> but you know, we pick up what we are consuming, what we are putting into ourselves, what we're feeding ourselves with. When we're spending time with the Lord, the Lord will come out. If we spend ourselves with times with the world, the world will come out. I don't want garlic breath. I do all I can not to have garlic breath. Right? <laughs> what I want is I want Jesus to come out of me. Amen? And the only way that's going to happen, there is no Jesus pill. It's time. Every single time. It's time. You have to spend time in His presence. But when we do, He is faithful to change us, to conform us into His image. May we all have Jesus' breath. Amen? By this is love perfected with us. I love that word. I used to get a little scared of that word because throughout the, the New Testament, this word comes up a lot, to perfect. And it sounds like perfect. I can't be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. But really, that's not what the word means. It doesn't mean perfect the way we normally think of it. It really has to do with being mature, with being complete. So many times, all the stuff that's happening in our life is really getting us to that. What God is doing in all of our lives, every single person that's here is putting within you things and taking away things for a purpose. Someday, you're going to be at this spot where you're going to be perfected to the point that now I can release you into something. 
And He gives us ministries and ways to serve along the way, but there's always something greater. I'm telling you, God always has something greater for each and every one of us. And this is what He wants us for us to be perfected in our love. By this is love perfected in, in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. Amen? And really, we're perfected as we abide in His love. In Luke 7, 37 really through 47, it's the story of, of the lady who had the alabaster jar and she broke it over the feet of Jesus. And then they went to you know, a Pharisee's house and, you know, and they're all going, ah, oh, you see this wicked woman. And in the end, what Jesus says, uh, He says, listen, I came in, you didn't do all the normal customs. You didn't do all the normal stuff. You didn't say hi, you didn't shake my hand, you didn't give me the water to wash my feet, you didn't do all this stuff. And yet this woman, this one you call a sinner, this one that you condemn. Boy, isn't it easy to do that? To judge and condemn. <laughs> this woman has come in and <laughs> wept over my feet. She's anointing me. She's wiped my feet with her hair. You know, the Bible says that a woman's glory is in her hair. So she took the thing of greatest glory and was using it to clean the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys don't even understand how great a thing this is. And He says in forty-seven, verse 47, He says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, because he who is forgiven loves little. And really, who, for, who is forgiven much loves much. You know the key to love is simply knowing how much we've been forgiven. If you ever feel like, I just don't have, I'm just not feeling something, the greatest place to go back, if there's one place, like we talked about before, when someone's saved and they're, oh, a lot of that is simply because they know what they've been forgiven of. They know what a great treasure this is. And we can kind of lose sight of that. And the best way to recapture that is to simply go back to, God, what have you forgiven me of? Oh my God. Goodness, God, you are amazing. The price He paid for each and every one of us. When we go back to that, there's nothing that will build our love for Him quicker than that. Amen? <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing is, at least for me, I don't ever go back to that and go, well, yeah, I kind of know that. When it's personal, when it's your life that He saved, when it's your life that He said, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven and spend eternity with me. How could you do anything but praise? Amen? So the key to love is to remember how much we've been forgiven. So why don't we walk in love? Why don't we walk in love? You know, there's a lot of reasons. You know, the, the enemy, the, ugh, there's so many things that come into our lives. And I tell you, the enemy, he's not that creative. You know that? He usually takes whatever the God is doing and either twists it or perverts it or makes it into something else. And really, He's more defensive. God is active in the world. We tend to think that we're fighting against the enemy and that the enemy is trying to do something and God is going, oh, I better stop that. It's actually the other way around. God has a purpose in the earth. And it's the enemy that's trying to stop what God is doing. So many times, <laughs> there's nothing that would make our enemy happier than to keep us from loving each other. Amen? 
So why don't we walk in love? <laughs> Number one is selfishness. It's a work, like I said, that God is doing in us and He's probably going to be doing it for the rest of our lives is working that out of us, getting us mature, getting us to where He puts His love in us. And like we talked about, you know, it's, it's this long like spectrum. You've got a, a newborn baby on one end that wants what it wants when it wants it to a mature Christian. And we are all at different stages on there. And aren't you glad that God doesn't say on day two, you need to be like this right now. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He basically works with us through that process, doesn't he? And he is so patient. He is so kind and loving through that. It's, it's, I am myself am thankful that he doesn't just drop all 800 things that I need to do on me right away. Amen. The second is pride. Love looks out and pride looks in. Love, God's love, looks at others in concern for them. What is it that they need? What can I do for them? Pride, on the other hand, says, look at me and what I am doing. And this can kind of turn into kind of a religious spirit kind of a thing where you're saying, I am doing these five things really well. Look at me. And then someone comes along that needs help, and they're not doing those five things. And we tend to then focus on those five things that we're doing and saying, this is what you need to do. Well, maybe they need something else first. And in love, we can then help them get to where they need to be. So sometimes pride can keep us from walking in love. And third is probably the biggest one is just simply our enemy. You know, the Holy Spirit, when we sin against God, the Holy Spirit, just, just thinking of, of the process that happens when we've sinned against God. The Holy Spirit comes in and He convicts, right? And basically convicts says, this is what you did. He's not pointing anything new out. We know that we did it, but He says this is what you've done. And His whole purpose, the whole purpose of God in convicting us of sin is simply this, to restore. God wants us restored with Him. <laughs> and it's funny how we can buy this lie that and I know we've talked about it before that when we sin against God, that He's going, well, you got about a week before you can come back to me. You ever feel that? You feel in yourself, oh God, I've sinned against you. You know, Please forgive me my sins, but now i got to spend about a week not really talking to the Lord because He's mad at me. Well, that's not the way God is. I mean, the story of the prodigal son, as soon as he saw the son coming, he ran to him and embraced him and all that stuff. That's the heart of God. <laughs> but the enemy wants to tell us this big fat lie. That, he, that God does not want us back. And the truth is, He does. And so you see that in love as well, that, that the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is bringing restoration. It's not just between us and God. It's between us and each other. The Holy Spirit, God Himself, wants us all to be in unity. And the enemy fights that like nothing else. And there's a reason why. Not only because it makes us miserable, and less effective, but because that's where power is at. I tell you, when we are united in Christ and whatever He's doing in our little body, in our community, in the world, wherever that is, there is really no limit to what God can do. The Tower of Babel, He made all their languages different because they were united. They weren't even doing anything godly, but simply because they were united, they were going to do this great thing, and God said, no, I don't want that. So that's when all the languages came about. Is from that because there is power in unity, and the enemy wants to divide us. 
And one of the areas in our lives that the enemy attacks the most is in relationships. In Ephesians 5.22, this is a, I, I really struggled this week because I feel like this is a rabbit trail, but I feel like it's God's rabbit trail. So would you bear with me? Because this doesn't exactly line up with the message, but God told me to do this. So here we go. <laughs> okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I love that verse. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Amen. Let's go home. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, if only it stopped there, but it doesn't. Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Boy, there's a lot more about the husband. You notice that? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. Husbands should love their wives as their own body. In the same way. How are we doing, guys? <laughs> I tell you, before I stood up here, I had to go through my own little repentance. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Because this will put you on your knees. Fellas, men, husbands. In the same way. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Those two words are so important. Nourish. What does it mean to nourish? It means to feed. It means to provide for. It means to give them what it needs. If you have a little plant, you're going to nourish it. You're going to give it the water. You're going to do, put it in the sunlight. You're going to do all these things. And what he's saying is this is what we as husbands should be doing with our wives. Is it getting warm in here? <laughs> Isn't it? Can we get some fans going? Now, the second thing is cherish. To cherish. That word means of high value. Of very high value. Men, are we cherishing our wives? How do we do that? How do we cherish our wives? It's not just, you know, love is always more than just, I love you. It's action. When you're dating someone and you love that person, you're spending ridiculous time with that person, right? You know someone that's not married yet, but they're about to be, it's, it's disgusting, isn't it? I mean, they're all over each other. Just stop. You know, and that's, that's because that kind of love, that love leads to action, doesn't it? So we can't say we love our wives if there's no action. And if we truly nourish our wives, we're going to be doing things for them. And if we truly cherish our wives, if they are important to us, we'll actually maybe not go to Menards. Maybe go to Kohl's. Oh. Oh. Ow. <laughs> oh, Kohl's. I, they're great for clothes. I love it. But I, five minutes and I'm done. Can I just be honest? Five minutes and I'm done. But my wife loves Kohl's. She does great. I tell you, they're such great shoppers. Frugal. Oh, they're so fantastic at it. I just, uh, can I go to Menards? But if I truly cherish her, I will be with her and spend time with her there. 
because that's what she loves to do. And that can, you know, all of our examples could be something else. What is it that your wife loves to do? I hope you know. <laughs> Are we willing to lay down our lives for our wives? And you know, in the end, <laughs> reading through this, it really struck me how really both the husband and the wife are called to sacrifice. Isn't that true? You know, we've been doing marriage counseling for a while, and that's one of the things that has really struck us going through that is how really the perfect, I don't want to say the perfect marriage, but a healthy marriage is one where there where both sides are doing what the other one needs instead of both sides trying to draw from the other what they need. That makes sense? There's something very powerful that when both are sacrificing for each other, it's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> it really is. That when there's that kind of love where you're, both sides are willing to sacrifice for the other, it just flows. And there's a reason. It's because, well, <laughs> that's God's plan. It really is. And you know, you, you can look at it from either side saying from the guy, oh, I got to sacrifice my life for my wife. Well, the wife could say, well, I got to submit to this guy. But like pastors said so many times, you know, that Kareen has said, it's, it's pretty easy or it's easier to submit to someone who is loving me the way Jesus loves me. I'm going to tell you, when both of us are fulfilling God's plan, that is just a beautiful marriage, isn't it? That's a powerful thing. It really is. And, and what he says at the end in verse 32 is this mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to the church, to Christ and the church. That the, you know, the, a, a, a marriage that's done God's way isn't really only about ourselves. It really also is a picture to the world of what God is doing with us, with the church. It really is a testimony. Amen. However, let each one of you love his wife as, as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, women need love. They're motivated by love. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? <laughs> there's not a lot of guy romance novels. It just doesn't happen. That's because there's a need inside women for love. There's a need for that. And men just aren't motivated by it. And that's why God had to say, men, love your wives. They need it. We need to fulfill this in them. But on the other side, it's not natural for maybe ladies to understand this, but men need respect. To the same degree that you ladies feel the need for love, your husband needs your respect. That's why he says this here. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. It's not a cultural thing. It's really not. Not back then and not now. It's just inside every man. <laughs> if you want your husband to love you, respect him. It's like opening a key to his heart. They say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, I kind of like it, but that's not going to get to my heart. I'll be pretty happy. Might even take a nap. Give me enough food, I'll take a nap. But it's not going to be the key to my heart. If you want me to love you, respect me. I tell you what, it, for every man, it's the same way. It's an amazing thing that God has put in us. And isn't it great that the Lord knows all that and He put in His Word this very thing that we need. And when we are both 
fulfilling the needs of our spouse, that that becomes a glorious testimony to Him. Amen? So we're told to love each other, to abide in that through faith, through all that process, we end up in love. And in the end, by this, all people know that you are my disciples. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. If you'd like notes from today, please email us at restorationtemple at live.com. Thanks again for listening and have a blessed week.